What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D, and today I'll be covering the case of Armarjeet Sada in Bihar, India. Let's get right to it. Bihar is a state in eastern India with Nepal to the north and the Indian states of West Bengal to the northeast and Uttar Pradesh to the west. Bihar is one of India's most densely populated states, with well over 850 people per square mile. It's mostly rural, with the overwhelming majority of the population living in compact villages dotted across the plains. Life in those villages is plagued with poverty, illiteracy, unstable housing, and limited access to medical care. While things have improved for the people of Bihar in the 21st century, nearly half the population remains unable to read or write, especially the women and girls. All this according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. It goes without saying that life in the villages is hard, and it's even harder for certain classes of people. According to the latest data from Pew Research, the country of India, which is the second most populated country in the world, only behind China, leads the world in the number of people who practice Hinduism. In fact, nearly 80% of the population identify themselves as Hindu. The Hindu religion is generally accepted to be one of the oldest religions, dating back more than 3,000 years. Before we get into this, I'd like to point out that as with any other religion, not all Hindus practice in the same way or share the exact same beliefs. And as you can imagine, practices of ancient Hindus is different from what is practiced today and varies by region. In order to understand today's case, it's important to understand the region and their practices. I researched as much as I could and tried like hell to learn pronunciations to bring you the most accurate information. But if I have gotten something wrong, please feel free to reach out. With all that said, let's get right back into the story. According to the BBC, one age-old tenet of the religion dates back a thousand years BC and is documented in the Manu Smriti or Laws of Manu. This religious text acknowledges the caste system as the basis of order and regularity of society. What is the caste system? According to the Set Free Alliance, the caste system is deeply rooted in the Hinduism belief in karma and reincarnation. It divides Hindus into four main categories based on who they were in their past life, their karma, and what family lines they come from. These four main categories are Brahmins, Kshatriyas, Vaishas and the Shudras. According to the BBC, each caste was affiliated with a part of the body of Brahma, the Hindu god of creation. 
At the top of the hierarchy were the Brahmins, who were mainly teachers and intellectuals and are believed to have come from Brahma's head. Then came the Kshatriyas, or the warriors and rulers, supposedly from his arms. The third slot went to the Vaishas, or the traders, who were created from his thighs. At the bottom of the pile were the Shudras, who came from Brahma's feet and did all of the menial work. The main castes were then further divided into about 3,000 castes and 25,000 subcastes, each based on their specific occupation. And there is one group outside of the caste system altogether. They are known as the Untouchables or the Dalits. According to NBC, Dalit is a word that can mean oppressed, broken, or crushed, and refers to those formerly known by the dehumanizing term untouchables. Over the years, the community has taken the term Dalit for itself, in a way reclaiming the name. In the 1920s, a movement began to abolish the caste system altogether. According to Columbia University, one of the great leaders of that movement was Dr. B.R. Ambedkar who himself was from the Dalit caste. But Dr. Ambedkar went on to earn several degrees, one of them being his doctorate from Columbia University. By 1948, negative discrimination on the basis of caste was banned by law and further backed by the Indian Constitution. The Indian Constitution was fully signed on January 24, 1950. While that should have been the death of the caste system, it wasn't. According to the National Geographic and the Pew Research Center, the caste system persists today. It isn't followed so much for religious reasons anymore, and nearly all Indians, regardless of their religion, identify with a caste. Discrimination against the lower caste has improved dramatically. However, in some less developed regions of India and South Asia, discrimination still exists, especially for the outcast or the Dalits. You see, since Dalits are considered by some as impure from birth, they are tasked with jobs that are traditionally considered unclean. Some examples of these jobs include manual scavengers, cleaning latrines and sewers by hand, clearing away dead animals, hauling rocks, or agricultural work. According to Bloomberg, nearly a third of Dalits make less than what is equivalent to two American dollars a day. And some aren't paid at all. Though it was made illegal by the Indian government in 1976, some of the workforce is trapped in a modern-day form of slavery known as bonded labor. Bonded labor is pretty much what it sounds like, where a worker agrees to pay off a debt through manual labor. This could be a debt from generations ago or a new one. The working conditions are often terrible and sometimes children work next to their parents to pay off the debt. According to the Global Slavery Index, as recent as 2018, it's estimated that around 8 million Indian people were unpaid workers or held in debt bondage. Since it's illegal and hard to track, that's a lowball estimate, and it's believed the number is much higher. While things have improved, we're still talking about millions of people trapped in an inescapable cycle of extreme poverty, illiteracy, and oppression. And with that comes a breeding ground for violence inflicted upon the community, and sometimes even from within. In 1998, Amarjeet Sada was born. Amarjeet's family were considered outcasts and lived in one of the most poverty-stricken areas of India. 
They lived in a Mushashari village in Bihar, and Armorjeet's father worked as a laborer. According to the Indian village directory, the village is geographically small, only roughly a square mile in total. Resources are already limited, and with roughly 4,000 people living in that small of an area, life for the Sada family and the Mushashari village was difficult. Fast forward a few years to 2007. Armarjeet was now eight years old. According to the son, the boy was described as a loner who liked climbing trees and roaming around the local area. According to the book Twisted, a profile of Indian serial killers, in May of 2007, another local woman named Chan Chan Devi set out to take care of some errands. Devi had a six-month-old baby girl named Kushbu. The little girl had fallen asleep in her stroller and Devi still had errands to run. So she parked the stroller in the shade of a tree at the primary school so the infant could nap while she finished up her errands. There were plenty of officials from the school around, so Devi thought her little girl would be safe. A short time later, she returned to find the stroller was empty. Her six-month-old daughter was nowhere to be found. The mother, of course, was frantic. She began searching for her little girl, and as she did, so did everyone else. Word quickly spread throughout the village that a six-month-old child was missing. And as everyone searched, there was a name that kept coming up. Amarjeet Sada. But how and why were villagers talking about an eight-year-old child? Surely an eight-year-old had nothing to do with the disappearance of an infant. At some point, according to Crime Wire, one of the villagers remembered that they had seen Amarjeet carrying a child. According to Twisted, a group of villagers went to the boy's home and questioned him about the infant's disappearance. His words sent a chill down their spine. Amarjeet stated, I put her to sleep by beating her with a brick. He then led the group to a grassy area near the school where they found the six-month-old child's body, badly beaten and covered with grass, twigs, and leaves. The police were contacted and Amarjeet was taken into custody. The India Times reported that as Amarjeet Sada was questioned, he told the officers that if they would get him biscuits, he would tell them everything. Biscuits in India are cookies in America, and officers did get the boy some cookies. After getting those cookies, the eight-year-old said, She was sleeping in the school. I took her a little away and killed her with a stone and buried her. The officer in charge of the police station said that as the boy confessed, he spoke little but smiled a lot and, of course, repeatedly asked for cookies. Amarjeet eventually detailed for officers how he had been roaming around the school that day when he saw the little girl sleeping in her stroller. With zero provocation, he picked her up and took her into the mangrove forest adjacent to the school. He smashed her face with a rock, killing her instantly, and then buried her in the grass and walked home. But his confession didn't stop there. Because Kushbu wasn't Armarjeet's first victim, or even the second. What Armarjeet described next to officers made him the world's youngest serial killer. Armarjeet Sada confessed to police that prior to Kushbu's murder, he had killed his baby cousin and his sister. 
and his crimes had started a year earlier when he was just seven years old. In 2006, Armorjeet's aunt had found a new job in the city. She needed her sister-in-law, Armorjeet's mother, to look after her six-month-old daughter while she settled into her new job. According to the son, soon after Armorjeet's aunt had left for the city, his mother needed to go to the local market to pick up some food for the family. The infant was reportedly left at the home with Armarjeet and his younger sister. When his mother returned from the market, the infant was missing, so she asked her son where his baby cousin was. According to Medium, her son looked at her, smiled, and stated, I killed her. He then led his mother to the backyard where he had buried the little girl. A brick and a stick had been placed over the burial site. Amarjeet Sada told his mother and later police that he started to pinch and slap the baby and she began to cry. He seemed to find this quite amusing. So he then carried the infant to the backyard, placed his hands around the baby's neck and pressed down as hard as he could as he beat her with a brick. He then used grass and twigs in an attempt to bury her and placed the brick and stick on top of the makeshift grave. His mother didn't contact authorities. Instead, she waited for her husband to get home from work. When Armarjeet's father arrived, he reportedly tied Armarjeet to a pole and beat him. But again, they told no one and decided it would be best to play the incident off as some kind of unfortunate accident. A few weeks later, when Armarjeet's aunt came to pick up her daughter, the father and mother told her her child was dead that Armarjeet was responsible, but it was all an accident. They begged her not to notify authorities because if she did, their son would be placed in juvenile prison. And the aunt decided to keep her silence. At the time, Armarjeet's mother was six months pregnant with a little girl. Now knowing what her son was capable of, she constantly reminded him throughout the rest of her pregnancy and after the child's eventual birth that he needed to protect his little sister. Roughly three months passed and his mother gave birth to that beautiful baby girl. It was difficult with another mouth to feed, but for the most part, everything was pretty normal. That was until it wasn't. One afternoon, when the girl was roughly eight months old, while everyone in the family was napping, everyone except Armarjeet, he walked over to the little girl's bed and strangled her. He then left her body on the bed and went back to playing. When his mother awoke from her nap, she picked up the baby and realized her daughter was deceased. She instantly knew who was responsible. Distraught, she asked her son, did you kill your sister too? Again, her son looked at her smiling and said yes. And again, Armorjeet's parents decided not to call police and instead Armarjeet was physically beaten once again. According to Armarjeet's uncle, as he spoke to the Mary UK, some of the extended family eventually found out about the two killings, but they didn't report anything either, because they were, quote, family matters. Bringing honor to the family is important to their culture. If word got out about what Armarjeet had done, it would bring dishonor to the entire family. Armarjeet's family already belonged to the lowest social caste. This would only bring more shame. And that was a risk no one was willing to take, 
but keeping their silence and not seeking help for their son only led to another murder. Their silence, however, didn't stop neighbors in the village from suspecting that Armorjeet had something to do with the deaths of the children. You see, Armorjeet already had quite the reputation. Villagers kept their own children away from him in fear that he may harm them. And shockingly, it wasn't only due to the two murders. The book Twisted, a profile of Indian serial killers, recounts an encounter with a local village girl that occurred before Armorjeet murdered his sister and cousin. A young girl from the village had brought over a baby chick to see Armorjeet. She handed him the baby bird to hold, and after a few moments, he began squeezing the chick until blood came from its mouth, right there in front of the little girl. Of course, she cried and her mother yelled at Armorjeet and told his mother what he had done. This led to an argument between the two moms. It was also reported that Armorjeet killed puppies and other small animals in the village and that he really seemed to enjoy it. The signs were there, but no help was ever sought for Armorjeet Sada. Instead, as we know, his crimes were hidden until it wasn't possible to hide anymore. And that cost three infants their lives. After his confession, Amarjeet Sada was taken into custody and, according to Indian law, charged in the juvenile court system. According to the American Psychological Association, the most basic definition of a serial killer is an individual who repeatedly commits murder, typically with a distinct pattern in the selection of victims, location, and method. By definition, at the age of eight, Armarjeet Sada became known as the world's youngest serial killer, committing his first murder when he was just seven years old. But what drives a child to murder at such a young age? Was he capable of understanding what he had done was wrong? According to reports from The Sun and The Mirror, psychologists who later examined the boy stated that he was, quote, a sadist who derives pleasure from inflicting injuries. And another stated that Sada has, quote, no sense of right and wrong. According to Twisted, a profile of Indian serial killers, one of those psychologists that evaluated Amarjeet was a man named Samshad Hussein. And after working with Amarjeet, the psychologist had diagnosed the eight-year-old with conduct disorder. He concluded that due to this disorder, Amarjeet could not distinguish between right and wrong at the time he committed the murders. And further, quote, due to a severe chemical imbalance in Amarjeet Sada's brain, he receives a sense of gratification from inflicting injuries on others. The American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry defines conduct disorder as a group of repetitive and persistent behavioral and emotional problems in children. Children and adolescents with this disorder have great difficulty following rules, respecting the rights of others, showing empathy, and behaving in a socially acceptable way. They are often viewed by other children, adults, and social agencies as bad or delinquent rather than mentally ill. Children or adolescents with conduct disorder may exhibit some of the following behaviors. Aggression to people and animals, destruction of property, deceitfulness, lying, and serious violations of the rules. 
Conduct disorder can also coexist with other mental health conditions. And many factors may lead to a child developing conduct disorder, including brain damage, child abuse, neglect, genetic vulnerability, school failure, and traumatic life experiences. Even from our limited knowledge of Armarjeet's background, we do know that he did not have access to education, lived in extreme poverty, and was physically beaten. And the signs that he was mentally unwell were obviously there. While his family likely didn't have access to the care he needed, if they had notified authorities, it's possible that Armarjeet could have gotten the help he clearly needed. In fact, according to Ariel Baskin-Summers, an associate professor of psychology and psychiatry at Yale University, most children with conduct disorder grow out of it as adults, especially with the right treatment. However, there is one small subtype known as conduct disorder with callous and unemotional traits, or CU traits, that can persist into adulthood and translate into psychopathy later on. Studies have shown that the presence of CU traits in children and adolescents diagnosed with conduct disorder place them at an increased risk for developing psychopathy in adulthood. While I could find no official source expressly stating that Armorjeet Sada displayed CU traits, from what we do know, it seems to fit. According to Biomed Central, CU traits include lack of empathy, sense of guilt, and shallow emotion. According to reports, it seems Armorjeet Sada was three for three. But was he a budding psychopath? I'll leave that one up to you. According to the Sun, Armorjeet Sada was detained in a children's home in the town of Munger in Bihar until he was 18 years old. There, he received medication and treatment for his disorder. He turned 18 in 2016, and it is believed he was released and is currently living under a different name. Where exactly? No one seems to know. As always, you can find more information on this case on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. I'll be bringing you an all new episode next Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.
the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.